Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org. Here at SDI, we have an initiative that brings emerging spiritual companions in the first half of life to our community, helping us weave a web of intergenerational wisdom and practice, which we call the New Contemplatives. These New Contemplatives enrich the SDI community with new forms and paradigms of spiritual care, bringing their voices to the center of the organization in the broader field of spiritual companionship. New Contemplatives community is organized by Lizzie Salsic, our New Contemplatives coordinator. And in this episode, Lizzie talks with one of the 2021 New Contemplatives, Nathan Betger, who will be part of the 2021 Renaissance Conference in April. So Nathan, welcome. It is so good to be in this conversation with you today, and it is so good to be in community with you among the new contemplatives. Thank you. I want to begin this part of our conversation by asking you a question that was that you answered in part on the application and I got to read a lot of people's experiences with this, but I wonder if you would speak to it now to our listeners. Who was your first spiritual companion and how did this relationship exist? What did you learn or gain from it? And this might be a formal quote unquote spiritual direction relationship, or it might um, just be a person that held a particular guiding post in your life. Yeah. Oh, well, there's a story. There's a story there. Um, I had been really quite drawn to the more contemplative um, aspects of Christianity um, at a time when um, where I was evangelically in the community that I was a part of. Um, there wasn't a lot of contemplative. Um, I mean, there just wasn't a lot of contemplative content. And um, <clears throat> so when I went to seminary, uh, uh, which was Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, they were only just beginning to uh, open up uh, classes around spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have a language before that. Um, but we, oh, I was in a class and we read a book uh, by Jeanette Bakke about spiritual direction. And um, I like immediately knew that I had to find somebody because um, it, it was like the thing that was missing. I don't know what it has been in my life, but I've always had a deep hunger for um for learning from elders. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went to the director of formation. And I said, okay, I need to find a spiritual director. Can you help me? 
And he said, okay, like I got a guy for you. Uh, he works here. I want you to go meet with him. He's done a lot with men. <clears throat> so I went in and I talked to him and he talked to this guy, talked to me for like 45 minutes about mentoring and men's stuff. And I mean, he was an ex Navy or Marine or something like that. And after 45 minutes of me basically not saying anything, I said, um, no, this isn't it. <laughs> so I went back to the formation guy and I said, what, I don't know what you were thinking, but that wasn't it. So, um, I need somebody else. So he goes in his file cabinet and he pulls out, he like rifles through, he's like, I think I have something in here. And he pulls out this copied email that was super short. It said, if any students are looking for a spiritual director, uh, they can call me John Ackerman phone number. Um, so, well, that was all I had <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, to, to work with. The guy didn't have a website, so I didn't know what to do, um, what to look, I, you know, I didn't have anything to Google. Um, but I called him up, I started meeting with him and he gave me the seminary discount, which was like $10 a session. This guy was a retired Presbyterian. I'd never even met a Presbyterian before in my life. Um, but he had written a few books on congregational spiritual formation. Um, I mean, he had traveled around the world teaching about spiritual, spiritual direction and, and congregational formation. And he really took me under his wing, um, uh, in, in a way that like, I was not even asking for. And that's the beautiful thing is like, I just went to him and showed interest and, um, you know, he invited me into conversations with other spiritual directors about doing spiritual formation work in churches. And, um, he, yeah, I, that was my, that was my initial, my initial spiritual direction relationship. Uh, he even went, I was going to this church in, in Minneapolis called Solomon's porch where everyone sits on couches in a circle Mm -hmm. And at like 75, I mean, this guy was a mainliner. That wasn't, this wasn't his deal at all. But he's like, hey, can I come to church with you some Sunday night just so I can see what it's like? Uh, and so he showed up one night. I was so proud. Uh, mm. He showed up there. But he really reached out to me as, as an elder and as a mentor mm -hmm. in a time when I was really trying to figure out what my direction was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I've always been trying to figure out where my direction is, but um, <clears throat> it was really powerful, you know, as I think back on that. And he's now died of lung cancer. He died in 2000 and, oh, I just recently looked. Maybe it was like, could it have been? Maybe, yeah, maybe like 2011 or 2013. But John mm -hmm. Ackerman is his name and he's written some books. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, he was my first. <laughs> what did you most learn from this relationship? What was the, the greatest gift for you? <clears throat> um, well, <clears throat> two things, I guess. One was the power of the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two was 
the power of being present mm-hmm. uh, and not just, um, you know, not just listening, but um, having a contemplative spirit that uh, oozes through someone's um, through someone's uh, wrinkles in their uh, face and the way that they attend. Uh, he had a lot of, he had so much presence. Really a gift. I mean, there's no way. Um, I've looked for a lot of, I've, I've looked for spiritual directors before. Not that hard. Um, Cause usually they, the right one comes, but this one just, came, he just came to me. Uh, not on his own will and not on my own will. Um, but uh is such a gift. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And you you spoke of him as an elder when you yeah. were speaking about him earlier, and it makes me think of um, other things that you've mentioned in your application. And I know that you've studied extensively with Stephen Jenkinson, who speaks a lot about eldering and what it means to grow ourselves as elders. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that, um, both um, what that means for you as someone who has elders and how to relate to wisdom in that way, honor elders. And then also what does it mean for you as a young father, as a young person to um, kind of orient your own self in that way? Oh man. Uh, well, there that's a big question <clears throat> because everything is heading towards that mm-hmm. or 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 <laughs> uh, at least i i i envision i would love everything in my life to be heading towards that and the problem the the struggle is that um in so many ways everything else is not mm-hmm. heading towards eldering um but what could be more important? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> could you could you share some qualities? What are the qualities of eldership for you? Uh-huh. What does that mean? Okay, um, so st- I have to do some stories to paint the picture. Okay, um, mm-hmm. before talking about the qualities of an elder, because well, to answer your question. Uh, briefly, Stephen, and I would maybe say the same. Stephen Jenkinson would say that um, elder is uh, a it's it's not so much what you can do as much as it is a um, as much as it is uh, a role or uh, an activity in the village or in the community. Uh, so <clears throat> it's a function. It's a function, um, and I'll, I'll so I'll backtrack. Um, I <clears throat> didn't really think much about elders at all until 
uh, I was exposed to um, uh, Bill Plotkin's work uh, around life stages and nature. And uh, he uses this eco and soul centric wheel that starts with birth and ends with elders, uh, eldering. And um, he painted a picture of elders in such a way that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was where I wanted to head in the direction of, mm -hmm. and yet I was so far from it, mm -hmm. so far from it. And I was okay with it. I was okay with it. And, and I have to say like a person, I, I truly believe a person cannot claim their own elder status. I'll never be able to say I am an elder um, because it's, it's granted mm -hmm. to a person by those who see them um, uh, fulfilling that function. Mm -hmm. um, so it's hard to say exactly. However, um, <clears throat> I have, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe creators given me a nose that can smell elders from a mile away and, mm -hmm. uh, and move in their direction. Uh, with some lucky or unlucky feet. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but uh, I have been significantly gifted with um, elders beyond what I ever could have asked for. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we were running the yoga studio, there were a few that would come by uh, in Oregon. Um, when I got into the men's work with Richard Rohr and uh, men who'd been a part of that organization for years, uh, I was surrounded by them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was probably one of the youngest guys in the group, you know, I mean, they were mostly fifties and older, sixties uh, and seventies. even. Um, and so, you know, I was just, figuratively and maybe sometimes literally sitting at their feet mm -hmm. um, just being in their presence and being spoken, you know, having my life be spoken into by them. Mm -hmm. uh, and in, you know, in spiritual direction circles, being one of the youngest ones, or I should say pretty consistently being the youngest one. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, you know, with Stephen and his work, I heard Stephen on the radio. That's how I heard of him. And as soon as I heard his voice, I was like, yep, I need to learn from this man. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was as simple as that. But, um, for my boys, I want to be a part of creating a community where elders can be a part of their life. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means some long range thinking. I call it the long game. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to community and envisioning what the world could be like, mm -hmm. um, I don't know what the world will be like. And I, and I anticipate it's going to be very, very different and probably pretty um, heartbreaking in many ways. Uh, however, 
if I can be a part of creating an environment where elders are welcome now, then there might be some for my boys. Mm-hmm. You know, the most heartbreaking thing would probably be a world, and we're, we're moving there now, where, where young people don't even know to want elders in their life, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, some of us think, man, I just wish that there was an older person that could speak into my life. But what happens when we live in a world where young people don't even know to want that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're going in that direction in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not participating in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, I have some men that I meet with regularly. Uh, and I'm always, always trying to secure other adults um, and affirm their place in my kids' lives. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Nathan Bedker is a board-certified hospital chaplain and spiritual director from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Nathan is committed to nurturing connection and community through our relationships, our bodies, our sense of self, the land that we live on, and our experience of the divine. Deeply grounded in contemplative and mystic Christianity and nature-based spirituality, Nathan seeks to consistently invite others into more unitive and loving life whether it be through spiritual companioning, caring for those in the hospital, advocating for more natural earth keeping, caring for his honeybees in his garden, or writing. He received his master's in divinity from Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, and certificates of spiritual formation and spiritual direction from George Fox University in Portland, Oregon. I feel an obvious mark of eldership is one who's been through um, enough, you know, a certain amount, one who's been through some things. And when I think of those things, I think of grief as being um, such a non-negotiable part of life. And we were speaking of grief earlier in our conversation and you spoke, um, you spoke of the importance and the necessity of presence, of deep presence inside grief, just being with what is. And I want to know if you say more about how you engage with grief in your own life and also how you engage with grief in um with the people that you work with in your hospital chaplain chaplaincy work in your spiritual direction work and your group process yeah so um <clears throat> one thing that i would that i would clarify is that experience doesn't necessarily make the elder. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We can experience a lot of things and never let it affect us. And I I think we live in a culture where, um, where uh, (laughs) 
just, it touches on a nerve. Um, suffering is seen as something that we have a right to not experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there is so much emphasis on, <laughs> and I mean, I work on a palliative care team. So, you know, saying that, you know, palliating suffering, um, uh, there's a place for it. However, on a cultural sense, palliating everything that's negative and everything that's hard uh, and everything that looks like frailty, that's, <clears throat> that's a whole part of, the hum- of, of being a human being mm-hmm. that, uh, um, that is, is being lost mm-hmm. because because so many people think they have a right to not have to do, have to go through that, you know? So, um, you know, uh, Rilke talks about, um, experiencing everything, you know, he says, live in in his famous quote about loving the questions. He says, we have to, we have to, um, we have to live everything. Uh, and uh, he, yeah, he has a whole, it's a newer publication about a series of letters that he wrote about grief and loss and suffering and death. And he says that um, <clears throat> we miss a significant part of the human experience when we don't, when we don't um, let ourselves feel the pain that life has to offer and when we don't get close to death. Um, uh, so one of the main tenets of my grief work is just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad mm-hmm. or just because it's <laughs> sad or hurts doesn't mean it's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, I think that grief is something that we, uh, that we can learn uh, and that we can access. Uh, one, one teacher says uh, we need to learn how to be wrecked on schedule. Mm. So uh, uh, I would say that I could probably access grief at almost any time. Uh, like I live with grief constantly and at the same time, I can probably access joy at any time mm-hmm. because they both they they go together, um, or love. Uh, you know, does spending a lot of time around death make me depressed? Well, it can feel heavy, but it makes me love life even more. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I I feel like I've fallen in love with hum- human beings and the earth life itself um just because i've learned because i've opened myself up to grief so much mm-hmm. doesn't mean that i'm on the verge of tears all the time sure i check out a lot and i need to uh, <clears throat> and i'm not an overly giddy bubbly person though i can be um 
so there's an ebbing and flowing with this grief and joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the thing. Like, that's what I try and offer people. I, like, there's not, there's not a how do you, how do you do this? How do you process grief? How do you get past it? Um, <clears throat> for me, it's, uh, and I think what has become extremely eye-opening and liberating for people is that we don't and nor should we but um we recognize that grief is part of being human and it teaches us how to love you know um so Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i could i could give so many examples about all of that so, but does that answer your question? It does. Thank you. Yeah. I'm thinking about, um, you know, I'm thinking about the difference between someone who has a choice on whether or not to engage grief um, because of the context of their life. Um, not saying that some people don't experience grief, but I'm thinking about, yeah, in some ways, I guess I could call it like the distribution of grief, you know, um, collectively. And um, that for some of us, you know, it is a matter of um, really opening ourselves more and more to the pain that we carry perhaps, and also just the pain of this world right now. Um, And then also thinking about those who really have no choice but but to be present to grief because it surrounds them um, in their lives or in their families or in their communal structures, um, in their communities. Um, And I'm just aware of the different the different, yeah, distribution of grief and, and where it lands um, and what what path, what doorways we all have to that. <clears throat> I hear, I think I hear what you're saying. And um, it's true that some people have things in their face um, on a daily basis. They would not have asked for it. Uh, they would not have gone looking for it. They would trade it, you know, for their right arm or mm-hmm. <laughs> both arms mm-hmm. to not have to go through the grief that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but the notion that we, I think the notion that we have a choice mm-hmm. of avoiding things to grieve for is an illusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Because as I say to people in my grief group, you think you're going to get through this, you think you're going to get through grief now, it's just going to come again. Mm -hmm. And it's going to come again, and it's going to come again. Mm -hmm. And if people have lived in an illusion that, that grief is something that they don't have to, that they shouldn't feel, then when it comes, when it comes crashing down around them, 
they have no tools and um and and they and they encounter a deep degree of despair mm-hmm. um <clears throat> there are always things to grieve mm-hmm. um and I think the extent that we are connected to life and to all the beings around us mm-hmm. to the land is the extent that we can be connected to grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't even have to list the countless just land earth related things that we could grieve for. I wouldn't be able to go on. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to even talk with you because I would just start crying. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, I have chosen not to shy away from that mm-hmm. and, um, to try and articulate it. Something that I learned in the orphan wisdom school is articulating the things, articulating the things that, um, we don't have control over. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is eloquence in the Western world other than speak about all the things that you think you know and all the things that you studied? Um, <clears throat> but what about being eloquent about the things that we don't know mm-hmm. and the things that we wonder about and the things that break us open? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I am so grateful for the work that I get to do um, in helping people put words to heartbreak mm-hmm. and um, to, to grief and to sadness and to the, difficult, uh, the difficulties that, uh, that they can encounter in life. Because mm-hmm. once we put it into words, it's real. It, it's it's much more real, mm-hmm. uh, and so whether it's my writing, um, uh, which I've learned to, I I've learned to move past uh, considering whether it's going to hurt somebody or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not that I'm like insensitive because I'm incredibly sensitive, but. You know, even in my writing, I used to think, okay, like, what if somebody disagrees with this? Or what if this is too harsh? Now it's like, no, you know, I keep hearing from beyond me, uh, lay it on them. Mm -hmm. This is what you have to say. Mm -hmm. So I just, that's what has to be said. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. I want to ask you also here about um, the work that you do in men's spaces. And you mentioned that earlier in your eldership or in your experience with elders. And I wonder if you could speak to that work and what that means for you and uh, how that how that looks in your work with um, with people in your practice and in your community. Yeah. 
was men's work and what is the impact of that? What is that you, that you experience? Yeah, well, it's men's work because I'm, because I'm, because I'm a man uh, and uh, it's what I needed and have needed and what I recognize is needed for my boys as well. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> for me, I had, uh, you know, I was living in Oregon and I had picked up wind of people who had been through a rites of passage, a men's rite of passage. Uh, and this was connected through the work that Richard Rohr was doing through uh, Center for Action and Contemplation. Uh, um, I had to wait for like two years, before, even after I felt the urgency to go through a rites of passage, uh, um, a ritual experience of being affirmed, um, you know, in my role mm -hmm. uh, as as a leader, as a male in the community, as a future father. Um, this is not common in Western culture, mm -hmm. other than in some pretty broken situations like, you know, fraternities and the military or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> I got the opportunity to meet, to, to greet Richard at a, Richard at a um, talk he was giving. And he said, they're going to do one in Northern California next year. That was in, I think in 2009 when he told me that. And then, uh, well, 2010 came along and it wasn't going to happen until Jan until November. So I had to wait a whole nother year. Um, but I did this rite of passage and I was so hungry back then that I just said, I want to get involved with this. Mm -hmm. So uh, they gave me some opportunity to get a bit more involved. And then they invited me to um, serve as the probably token young guy mm -hmm. um, on a, on a group mm -hmm. that was committed to trying to find some direction uh, of moving the, men's work from Center for Action and Contemplation to a new organization because Richard needed to step away from that. Um, all this time I'm being surrounded by these men who have done work, who have worked, you know, committed to their communities and, um, and uh, to their children and to young people. And uh, of course, Richard himself. Uh, and, uh, so I think I served on that for a year and a half and we started a new nonprofit, Illumin. Um, and, uh, you know, once chaplaincy kicked in, I stepped away from involvement with that because I needed to. Um, but all that time I was leading men's circles. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, these were men who were speaking into my life. I was speaking into their life. And I anticipated that they were going to be speaking into my son's lives as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, because for as, um, let's see how to say this. Um, for as egalitarian uh, I'm, as, as we can be and need to be uh, and for the various ways that, that people have been oppressed uh, 
and silenced. There's still a need, I think, for women to be supported by women, other women and men to be supported by other men. Mm -hmm. uh, this is village culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, for thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> and it's not just human either. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so um, I recognize it as a need, but I also recognize it as something that's uh, distinctly missing. Mm -hmm. uh, because of the uh, destruction of village culture, because of the immense priority of the nuclear family. Um, like there's so many cultural things that I don't have to get into. Uh, but I think it's pretty clear that, uh, at least to me, that um, this intergenerational um, connecting within, you know, with men and women is, um, mm -hmm. is uh, in, a, in a difficult place. So I have, a, I have a hunger for it because I know I need it. I have a passion for it because I know that, um, that I can offer it. I've had some very wonderful, wonderful conversations with many different men, whether it be um, in the hospital, mm -hmm. uh, um, going through all different kinds of things, or whether it be, uh, um, you know, through spiritual direction, Mm -hmm. or you know through groups mm -hmm. so yeah are you still a part of the leadership team um with Illumin? no mm -hmm. uh and it's 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 a it's kind of a sadness for me there's a longing mm -hmm. and a call and, and a and a deep desire um <clears throat> uh a deep desire to be back in that. I went to I went to a con uh, a weekend conference in Minnesota since I've been back here, mm -hmm. um, but there's not much of a chapter in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And the other difficult thing, and this speaks more to our culture, uh, I think where I am in life raising a family, it's so common for men and women to just be focused on their family. They work and then they just hang out with their family. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like it's kind of a norm. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I get in that, um, in that place. Mm -hmm. um, and, at the, and, and at the same time, I have a trust in life and, and, and how life un, will unfold for me mm -hmm. um, in when the timing is, is right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I do have some guys that I meet with mm -hmm. once a month, which has been a deep blessing to me, even on the days that I don't want to get together with them and I want to stay home with my family. Mm -hmm. um, it's always so significantly healing to mm -hmm. be with them. Mm -hmm. um, uh but no, Illumin's doing such amazing things. They still do these rites of passage around the world mm -hmm. um, for men. They 
uh, have they have developed a way of sitting in council, mm -hmm. uh, not just face to face, but I think um, uh, even uh, virtually, mm -hmm. and they uh, have this very profound process of engaging men in on their spiritual journeys mm -hmm. and helping them grow towards elderhood, mm -hmm. you know, at least to do the work mm -hmm. so that they're ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate the work and the conversation so much. And I'm aware in me as well, the growing edge around um, gender identity and expression and like how we continue to make space for, yeah, do the work, just do the work that we all need to do and um, fill out, um, you know, I'm just, I guess I'm just wanting to add into the wholeness of this conversation, you know, um, the spaces for people with gender variance to have support and community and just the complexities, you know, I, I, I experienced this, you know, you know, this relates, I, that's kind of why I asked you if you were still on the leadership team at Illumin, because I think about organizations and how they're engaging with, um, with, um, just with diversity in this way. And, yeah. um, and, you know, I have a background, a really deep spiritual background in women's circles. And that was really the, mm -hmm. that was really the culture that I was raised up spiritually in mm -hmm. and have a lot of, um, obviously for a lot of reasons, have a lot of commitment and investment in um, uh, women's circles and spaces and work. And also personally feel quite, um, clear in my own identity as a woman and understand that as a particular kind of spiritual covenant that I have. Um, um, and that other people with different gender, different gender experiences and identities have different covenantal relationships with mm -hmm. their own, with their own gender and communities. And um, like, how do we hold, you know, I'm in a lot of, I'm in a, like, how do, how do, what's that look like, you know, to grow and expand beyond those, um, those expressions of support, you know, and healing mm -hmm. to even. You know. I think that there are cultures historically in, in human history where gender variance um, was welcomed as part of the, as part of the community mm -hmm. and that there wasn't, there wasn't an issue, but we've, we've found ourselves in that found ourselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, as if it wasn't an issue all along um, uh, and, and people weren't being silenced and, and, and uh, not welcomed uh, more. So we, we've worked ourselves into this place where um, there's this such deep separation, lack of trust, mm -hmm. um, uh, unwelcomeness that has that has um that has uh, arisen not arisen but um been established as the norm mm -hmm. which is just to me it's it's heartbreaking mm -hmm. and um I, I think one of the things that illumin one of the first things as they were getting established um was you know we uh, 
wanted to be an organization that was going to help men grow spiritually no matter where they stood mm-hmm. and that there was going to be an open welcome. Now, I mean, you know, you start talking about gender variance and it gets tricky because, you know, okay, like, uh, um, uh, you know, where does, you know, where, where does someone want to get involved? But I think if the welcome is there mm-hmm. and the openness, mm-hmm. uh, that that's the first that's that's a big step mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh so yeah it's just yeah. i hope i hope yeah i see um <clears throat> evidence of people beginning to be more open and compassionate with each mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. and be more welcoming we mm-hmm. have a long ways to go uh um but for those of us who are affirming and welcoming, you know, we get a chance to be allies and to, um, and to speak the importance and the need mm-hmm. of all different uh, gender variants, all different cultures, all different mm-hmm. voices. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. needs to come to the table, you know, mm-hmm. or we can't be whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like, there's no, to me, I, I, I'm becoming increasingly um, in, not intolerant, but non-participatory in, um, in any sort of aut- autonomy uh, as much as what I desire is to be a part of um, integration mm-hmm. and connection, interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, amongst humans and amongst the more than human world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been living in an illusion of autonomy for much too long. Mm-hmm. Good, good, uh, good questions. Thank you. Yeah. I'm <laughs> um, I just want to, I want to kind of bring us to close with a final question which is what what's the greatest lesson that you've learned from your from your spiritual companionship practice or 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 those that you see um in spiritual direction what what has been the greatest lesson that you've learned Uh, I think it has to be something along the lines of trust, mm-hmm. trusting that which is coming through. Mm-hmm. I can only be, uh, I mean, I can be a lot of things. I can be non-responsive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the desire is to open myself to be responsive mm-hmm. to the movement of what spirit or creator or life, they're all simultaneous to me, mm-hmm. um, is wanting to move through mm-hmm. myself, a directee, a patient, mm-hmm. um, my activity, you know, 
mm-hmm. where I go. Some days in the hospital, I don't know what, I, I never know when I get here what I'm going to encounter. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I have the sense I need to see somebody and, and, or I don't have a sense I need to see somebody, but you know, um, I'm walking by a room or I hear something and I'm, and it's like, go there and my stupid feet or, or maybe courageous feet. Cause they're not thinking just mm-hmm. go that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm in the place where I need to be mm-hmm. for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, for life to, to, um, to unfold. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, sometimes I think there's a, um, there's a, there's a pressure. I think I felt it early on in my spiritual direction practice. Oh, maybe I'm saying too much or, uh, you know, I need to have the other person, uh, do all the talking and mm-hmm. I'm just here to listen and maybe ask a few questions. Now there's a time and a place for that. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be able to, um, uh, to be able to go in that place where we can shut up if we need to. Um, but trusting, mm-hmm. trusting the movement of life through us mm-hmm. sometimes means often means need to speak up now and you're doing a disservice to life and to this person and all that is connected in this moment by keeping your mouth shut when Mm -hmm. you when this is coming through Mm -hmm. so that's the biggest lesson i've learned um Mm -hmm. it's a big one um but the only response i can have to that is absolute gratitude Mm -hmm. only gratitude because i didn't generate that thought Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't choose or, or tell myself I needed to go into that room when that patient was going through that thing. Mm-hmm. I, got, I, I w- was probably getting in the way of that more than anything, but it came through and I'm just so grateful. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, the, that's it. Registrations for SDI Renaissance 2021 are now open. Everyone is welcome to attend and be nourished by this conference. Go to sdicompanions.org for the details and registration options. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast your favorite app, you could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.